It is a very warm welcome to episode five of the Cricket Library podcast. My name is Matt Ellis and it's wonderful to have your company for what should be a very enjoyable chat coming up. And a reminder, if you haven't caught all the previous episodes, you can do that by searching for them on your favourite podcast app, Uh, iTunes will have us, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, just some of the places you might find us. The Today's Tale website will have access to the podcast as well. So please make sure you have a look for previous episodes after you have a listen to this one. This man played 97 first-class matches, took 300 and 22 first-class wickets. He originated in Victoria, got his first-class debut playing for the Vicks at the MCG back in 1989. He'd have a bit of time at the Cricket Academy where he'd learn from Terry Jenner and toured overseas and did a fair bit of bowling in tandem with Shane Warne before coming back and playing first-class cricket in South Australia, getting a chance to play for Australia A and making his test debut in the 1994 Five Summer in an Ashes test at the Adelaide Oval against England. I am, of course, talking about the great Peter McIntyre. This is a chat you will enjoy. I'm certain of that. He shares some insights into some of the highlights in his career, particularly the bit I'm looking forward to is the 95-96 Sheffield Shield final where he did some magnificent work with the bat. And it's time now to sit back, relax and enjoy our chat with Peter McIntyre. And it's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. Peter McIntyre, thanks for joining us. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and and being our fifth guest on this new series of the Cricket Library podcast. And I thought we might start off by asking you a little bit about your journey into first-class cricket. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I started uh, as a junior playing in a a club called uh, Romsey, which was about an hour out of Melbourne. And uh, played with uh, two elder brothers and my father, and was uh, it was regional country cricket, I guess. And uh, I then went into, I suppose, what was called the Country Cup when I was 15, 16 years of age. And um, and uh, I think it was uh, sponsored by International Harvester, they called it back then, the Country Cup. And then uh, moved on, and then uh, had some interest from the Essendon Cricket Club, and basically. Uh, Moved uh, from Romsey to Essendon at the age of 16. So that's where the club cricket started. And, and were you always plying your craft as a leg spinner? Was that your go-to back then? Oh, I think back then you tried to imitate all, all sorts of guys when you were when you were growing up. And uh, I certainly tried to bowl as fast as I could. And uh, you know, you'd imitate Jeff Thompson and Dennis Lilly and even some of the West Indians of the era when I was growing up. And... Um, Eventually, I think around about 13, 14 years of age, I think I, I, I injured my back and then uh, I just started mucking around with leg spinners and um, I think it was the local sheriff he used to call himself. He was he was the uh, 
he ran the police station at Riddles Creek uh, Police Station, and the, we called him the local sheriff, and he was he was an umpire, and he spotted me bowling leggies and encouraged me to keep going with it, which I'm forever grateful for. And and how were you with the bat back then? Did you do a bit of batting back then as well? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, occasionally, uh, I, I think I. I opened at some some stages, and uh, I think I might have even got a uh, hundred in the country cup in in the early days. So it's sort of uh, I didn't go on with the batting that much. Um, I could hang around, but uh, I didn't have a lot of shots. So, but uh, you, you certainly did a bit of batting. Yeah when you were coming up through the ranks in the juniors. Oh, I'm very keen a little bit later on to talk, get you to talk us through a bit of your batting in that 95-96 Shield final, yeah. but we'll, we'll just hold tight there for now. But that's a, yeah, that's a hell of a memory. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. That's one of the great yeah. Sheffield Shield finals. Um, but your entry yep. in, into first-class cricket came on, on the back of some strong performances in club cricket. You make your debut at the MCG at the back end of the 88-89 season and you play against Western Australia, what was how, – how did that all come about for you? What was, the, what was the time frame for you from playing first grade to, to getting that first opportunity against WA there? Oh, look, it, it all happened pretty quickly. When I first went down to Essendon, I think I was uh, – I think I was there was around about twelve spinners throughout the four elevens, wow. uh, so I, I'd, I'd played probably uh, D grade cricket for Essendon for probably two or three seasons, I think it was, and then I quickly moved into the uh, the seconds and then started having a bit of success. And I think at the age of oh, I think I was twenty, twenty, I um, I. I I debuted, debuted in the first uh, for Essendon and picked up Julian Wiener, I think it was, with a wrong one. Um, and then started to regularly take wickets in that season and the following season. And uh, I think I might have played, um, yeah, and then at the age of 21, uh, I started playing. My first game was against Western Australia, who were full of uh, current and future test players. So. And yeah, you're you're able to pick up a couple of wickets, a couple of big ones. Jeffrey Marsh, number one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I bowled a lot of overs from memory a long time ago, but uh, bowled a lot of overs that match, and because um, you know, I, I think there were some big scores made, and I think even Dean Jones might have got a, a big hundred there as well. So, yeah, so that was a interesting first game into first class cricket. And did you feel the pressure or were you just embracing it as a, as a youngster, having the opportunity to get out there on the hallowed turf of the MCG? I think you always feel the pressure. It, it all happened pretty quickly though. So I'd sort of gone from second um, 11 cricket at Essendon to the first and then before I know it, I'm playing for Victoria. And uh, and then, you know, we had – I don't think Warney was around then – he was coming. He was a couple of years behind me, two or three years behind me. He was just starting to make his way through at St Kilda, I think. And but we had Paul Jackson there as well, so another guy called Mark Osborne as well. Yeah, so we had okay. about four four spinners in the squad eventually. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I, for some reason, I I was sort of first up, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah a lot of pressure, of course. It, it's quite a step up from club cricket into first class cricket. And then you go from there a couple of years later, you get the opportunity to spend some time at the, the Cricket Academy. 
Uh, can you tell us a, l- a little bit about uh, how that was, that experience was for you? Yeah, I guess uh, I think uh, I think I was uh, around about 24, 25 years of age and there was an opportunity as a, a mature-aged uh, cricketer to go to the academy and uh, I went across to Adelaide and I, I actually uh, lived with Terry Jenner for three months. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and um, and Terry was actually just uh, – he'd just come out of the clink and uh, he was getting back into cricket and he'd spent some time in the big house. And uh, anyway, um, I had three months with Terry and uh, that was just magnificent. It was uh, – he had such a brain on him where he could spot the flaws in your technique and your action and he was a very, very good coach. And uh, and I think Warney came across the same year as well. And, okay. uh I remember working with TJ and Warney through those three months. So, uh, yeah, so I had that, those three months and went back to Victoria and uh, it all fell apart a little bit when I went back to Victoria. So, And, and any reason behind that, do you feel? Oh, look, uh, there were, uh, I had Simon O'Donnell as a captain and uh, Les Dillon was coach and, you know, there was a lot of press around about, you know, fields being placed for me and things like that. And I was in and out of the side. And and uh, at the time, I don't think um, spin was su- supported that much yep. in that era era of Victorian cricket. And and then uh, it was very frustrating. And then that's when uh, I think Warney even, I think, had an offer to possibly go to New South Wales okay. and then Paul, Paul Jackson took off to Queensland yep. and then I made, I made the decision because Terry Jenner was coach of Tea Tree Gully, uh, I made a decision to move to Adelaide and uh, play for Tea Tree Gully so I'd had 10 years with Essendon. So, so that was that connection with, with Terry Jenner that helped kind of uh, get you across the line to, yep. to South Australian cricket? Yeah, yeah. So uh, – Went straight across, played with T.J. Gully. Had ten, another 10 great years with T.J. Gully as well. And uh, I think we won the first premiership for T.J. Gully. It was a young club and uh, full of juniors. And, uh, yeah, it was a terrific 10 years with T.J. Oh, T.J. didn't coach all the way through, but uh, he was able to call on T.J. at any time to help me out. So it was a um, good relationship. And you flourished there at South Australia, some some really solid seasons, 93, 94, 29 wickets, 94, 95, 32 wickets, uh, which were, was a big season for you, that 94, 95 season. Can you tell us a bit about um, your early time there at South Australia and, and what the what the playing group was like and, and how, how it was settling in coming from another state? Yeah, look, it was it was a time when I think Jamie Siddons had moved moved across from Victoria as well, and Darren Lieben and Paul Paul Nobes had gone to Victoria and come back, and uh, so there was a fair bit of uh, player movement in South Australian cricket, and you had um, Peter Sound asleep was getting towards the end of his career, uh, I think he was mid mid thirties, and uh, yeah, of course you had Tim May who was playing in the Australian side at the time, so. Uh, Look, it, they were a great bunch of guys. It was a great camaraderie, and uh, but we, you know, we had James Brayshaw that had come from, from interstate as well. So we had quite a number of interstate players that had come across to South Australia. So I wasn't on my own there, and uh, it um, it was a it was a great time to be playing for South Australia. And you enjoyed bowling on the Adelaide Oval wicket. 
I actually did. It was uh, it was that and Sydney were my favourite grounds because it, especially if uh, you won the toss and batted at Adelaide Oval. Yeah. It really and and the heat in the middle of summer, you know, the heat could get up to forty degrees and the the pitch fell apart beautifully. So I used to love bowling on the third and fourth days at uh, Adelaide Oval. So uh, I really got used to the way you needed to bowl a lot of square spin yep. at Adelaide Oval and. Uh, I know. Warnie always struggled at Adelaide Oval, which surprised me. But I, I suppose the Test wicket was always a little bit different to what the uh, the Shield wicket was. But it always fell apart and spun big. So I really enjoyed Adelaide Oval. And the Australia A series. This this is one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I was at high school in the '90s when this concept came about, and as a fan, it it was massively appealing. But I know from um, from what I gathered from the Australian team at the time, they, they weren't all that keen on the whole Australia versus Australia A thing. How, how was your time playing those games in the coloured clothes for Australia A? Uh, look, it was controversial. You, you're right. The the uh, the main Australian team didn't like it because uh, they, I suppose they felt vulnerable or exposed If and we were, we were close to, to beating them at stages. So... It, which wouldn't look good, uh, I suppose, an Australian race side, which uh, was very strong as well. There was a lot of uh, very good players in that era of cricket. And uh, look, I, I didn't play much one-day cricket, so I got the opportunity to to play in that that triangle, uh, one-day triangle. Um, I think it was England, Australia, and Australia A. So um, I think we came to Adelaide, and you know it was clear that the crowd was on Australia A side after their Sydney match, I think it was. And, uh, yeah, I think that's when Mark Taylor put an end to it because uh, <laughs> it wasn't going down well. And and how did you find playing 50 over limited overs cricket, the crowds, the atmosphere? Did that bring well, the best out in you? Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed playing one day cricket. I, I wish I could have played a lot more one day cricket. Uh, whenever I did, I seemed to take wickets. I, I know I, when I played for South Australia, I, they always played me in Canberra because it spun. Yeah. Uh, but you know, probably uh, probably my fielding and uh, to a lesser extent my, my batting probably wasn't good enough for the for the one day uh, era. So, but I, I just felt like I, I was a fair. I could contain batsmen as well as get them out. So it was uh, one day career was always enjoyable for me, and I wanted I would have loved to have played more. And you, you form in that in that. Uh, series, do you think that was helpful in terms of you getting a call up to the Australian Test team? Yeah, I, I, no doubt. I, I think uh, it wasn't just that uh, one day uh, triangle. We we also had a young Australia tour to Zimbabwe as okay. well in the early early days in '91, and and Warney and I took the same amount of wickets. I think on that. Uh, on that tour to Zimbabwe and uh, he took a seven for in the last game, I think, and that's where he sort of, he, he was getting a, a fair bit of attention. But then uh, I think there was a, a young Australia tour to the UK as well where I finished up with 20-odd wickets on that and had an absolute ball, uh, t- took a lot, a lot of wickets on that tour. And I think that's where I started getting – and then started getting some uh, attention. And I think there was a game – against England, a tour match in uh, Adelaide where I took a six for as well. So that's where I started to get a bit of attention, I think, when I was playing 
the Australia A, Young Australia yep. and the tour matches, yeah. Just just back on that tour to Zimbabwe, were you bowling in tandem with Shane Warne in, in those games? Yeah, we were. We were. And uh, it was a lot of fun because we're, we were messing around with the flipper. Right. We, uh, we both sort of discovered the flipper when we uh, were having some time with George Tribe in Victoria, actually. And uh, he was showing us how to bowl this flipper. And we we started mucking around with it and started and we bought it out of the kit bag in uh, Zimbabwe and had a lot of success with it. So uh, I remember a guy called Ian Butchard, I think his name was, and I think we both picked him up two or three times each, and uh, it was with the flipper most of the time. So so it was we were certainly experimenting and uh, trying to work out this art of leg spin bowling in those early days. Now, the call-up to the test team, uh, it's a home test. Uh, well, you're adopted home, Adelaide, and you're playing in a first test match with fellow South Australian Greg Blewett. What was, yep. what was the lead-up like to that? Was there uh, a bit of fanfare in South Australia around the two of yeah. you making your debut? Yeah, there was. Uh, we'd finished a uh, – I think we'd finished a Seal match not long before the next test – and there were sort of whispers around that, uh, you know, Bluey was going to get a, a, a shot at playing Test cricket. And, uh, you know, there have been a little bit that I may have got a, a go, but I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. And then out of the blue, I, I'm selected in the 12 uh, with Warney as well. And I think uh, the selectors decided that they'd go with a two-prong leg spin attack against England in in Adelaide and uh but to debut with Bluey um Bluey uh I think got a hundred in this in one of the innings. Yeah he did uh, get a hundred on debut, yeah. Yeah. Had to hang around with him, um, which I didn't I wasn't gonna be there for long because Devin Malcolm was at my measure and uh it got him through. We got him through and he got a hundred and so I think, and I, think I, I, I think I recall Greg Blewett coming down the wicket to a few deliveries there yes. in the lead up to bringing up the hundred. Is that, yes. is that a sign he maybe didn't back you enough there, Peter? No, cor- no correct. So I told him to get on with it because I wasn't around for very long. So that's why <laughs> that's why he was charging the bowlers. So it uh, I, I didn't last very long, and I, I could hardly see the ball out of Devin Malcolm's hand. So I walked down to Bluey and I said, Bluey, get on with it because I'm not here for long. So yeah, it was um, it was it was great though. I think. I think Bluey went on to make another couple of hundreds during that series as well. So, but uh, I remember picking up I think Mike Gatting and uh, Phil DeFratis. Yeah, nice. That match. So, yeah, yep. Mike Gatting, number one. I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. very good. And then you get to tour India. Is that like Spinner's yeah. dream come true? Oh, look. Uh, this time it was without Warney. Uh, Warney at uh, I think. Uh, uh, damaged the tendon in his bowling hand, and uh, myself and Brad Hogg were selected to head to India. And it was a it, it was a one-off test. There were there were no other tests. There was just one in New Delhi, and another I think it was uh, up to ten one days, seven to ten one days. Um, so yeah, played uh, played in the Indian test. Uh, picked up three wickets, I think it was. Picked up Tendulkar for ten. And you got uh, him. Called, did you get him second ball? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was his first game as captain, actually. Yeah, right. And uh, we were playing at New Delhi, and uh, yeah, picked up 
the great Sachin, uh, second ball, uh, caught it first slip by Mark Wall. So uh, picked up a threefer, hung around with the bat with Steve Wall, uh, got a 17, I think it was, for a couple of hours in one of the innings. I think we got beaten in the end. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Hills missed a stumping on me. I, I always believe I would have picked up a fifer in yep. in that inning. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed India and what India was all about and touring around India. So it was a very interesting country. And and their love of cricket uh, as, as real as it looks from a distance? Yeah, quite incredible, actually, how much they know about you. Uh, like, I'd only played one test and they seemed to know all my facts and figures and statistics of of uh, what I'd done in my first-class career, which which is quite incredible. So uh, I was lucky enough to actually have a couple of hours with Bishan Beatty over there as oh, well. Oh, wow. Just just talking spin. So that was a great two hours as well. So yeah, that I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed India. Yeah, that would have been magnificent, the great Bish and Betty. Um, yeah. Terry Jenner talked about him a lot too. I, I, I remember him saying, uh, or one of the quotes I remember from Bish and Betty is, uh, it's not what it does, it's how it arrives um, from yep. a spinner's point of view. And, um, yeah, great great student of the game, no doubt. Yeah, yeah flight. He was very big on flight and how you used your flight and, and change your pace. So, yeah. Interesting man. Now let's let's have a chat about ninety five, ninety six. Uh, a great season for the Saka. Um, Jason Gillespie is making a name for himself in in that that team as a youngster. Uh, you you take thirty seven wickets for the season, and South Australia earn hosting rights for the Sheffield Shield final. What's what's the mood like uh, going going into that big game ninety five, ninety six? Look, we uh, we we'd actually played in the final the year before, and and uh, actually handed Queensland their first Shield title ever uh, the year before. So we uh, we'd come off, I suppose, three or four or five years of building a team to win a Shield, and in that era there were so many stars around the place, and you know the the Australian players would come back and play. So I think the game before. Uh, I think our last game, uh, Shield game of that that season, we'd played against New South Wales, and they had you know the Wars and Slater and uh, Taylor and everything, everyone playing for them. So we actually won that. So we we got some pretty good momentum up, and uh, we've uh, got the home final uh, against Western Australia in Adelaide. So it was uh, it was big. And then Adam Gilchrist turns up at the ground and. Yep. Did he ever? Things. Yeah. Uh, wh- this is a question I don't know if you'll be able to answer, but but where do you bowl to Adam Gilchrist when he's striking the ball as well as he did in that game, or do you hide oh, it fine leg? <laughs> seriously, it was it was uh, like I think I set up the game uh, with a none for 165, <laughs> so that so that so that it went into 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 the fifth day. But uh, Tim May got belted as well. Tim Tim was playing and. Uh, he was just picking us up and dropping us into the stand at will. And that's when he really announced himself, I think, as uh, a player of the future. But it was an incredible innings. And uh, he, I think he got 180 or something Yeah, like what, that. 189 not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, absolutely turned the game on its head because uh, it's um, – 
we'd we'd batted first and made a reasonable score, and then because he he got them so quickly, it opened the game right up. So. Yeah. Now, uh, Paul Nobes gets 100 in that game, a great stalwart of South Australian cricket. Brayshaw made 87. Uh, we we get to the last innings and there's still 343 runs to get and mm-hmm. a fair bit of time left in the game. What was the talk from Jamie Siddons um, to to the batters going going into that, that last innings? Well, look, it's... Uh Jamie had done his hip actually, so he was uh, he wasn't travelling too well. He, he could hardly run, and he was pretty um, badly had a pretty badly injured hip. Um, and we'd we'd sort of we'd come into the day. I think um, I think Bluey was still in with with Brayshaw. I think and, um, uh, I just I, th- I got a feeling Jason Gillespie was was he used as a night watchman? He could have been, yes, he could have been actually, yeah. So I mean, we had a terrific batting line with Darren Lehman in the middle order, um, you know, and Nobes and Blue at opening, Siddons, Brayshaw. Uh, it was just ebbed and flowed right through the day, and uh, it was like, you know, and it, we're into the fifth day, and we'd get a partnership start start getting formed. And then we'd lose a wicket and we'd lose another wicket. And then you've got, uh, I think we came out after tea time and Tim Nielsen, Joe Angel Bold, cleaned up his stumps and Tim Nielsen was was gone. And then I think Siddons, I, I think he finished with four runs over two and a bit hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Tim May, Tim May came in uh, and made uh, an hour-long duck. And yeah. And hung around, <laughs> like, you know. It was, was incredible. So one of the greatest ducks in Shield history, I think that one from Tim May. <laughs> oh, but yeah, but you talk about pressure. That was uh, that was full on, and and Western Australia had an incredible attack. They had Brendan Julian, uh, Joe Angel, uh, I think uh, Brad Hogg, Hogg yep. yeah, Tom Moody threw some down. Uh, but yeah, they had like Langer and Martin, and yeah, it was. Uh, they they had a very very good side, so as did we as well. Our, our quicks and Jason Gillespie and Shane George. So, yeah. So was, uh, you you come in and you've got about for fifty nine minutes to seal the deal, yes. so to speak. Uh, yes. <laughs> can, can can you just talk us through that as uh, like you're you're in the team to bowl and yep. Uh, you desperately want to see South Australia lift the shield. Um, people are coming down after work to to pack into the Adelaide Oval. Uh, how, how do you cocoon yeah. yourself from all the the negative thoughts there? How do you how do you focus on the job at hand? You you and Shane George. I think I think Shane George averaged nine point four two in his first class career. Um, yeah. He did make a couple of first-class 50s, so he could hold the bat. You mentioned earlier in, in your younger years you could hold the bat a little bit. But you've got 59 minutes to just kind of block it all out and, and um, see the team home. Can you, can you talk, yeah. us, talk us through it? Oh, look, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure how I did it, but uh, the, the pressure that built well, by the time we'd got to nine down, and Georgie had walked out, and he, 
amazingly, he was uh, George is quite a nervous, anxious sort of guy. Okay. Uh, he came out and he was so relaxed. I've never seen him so relaxed. I don't know why, but uh, whether he was uh, trying to put this brave front up. But, uh, uh, and I, I was having a bit of trouble with uh, Hoggy, actually. I was playing the spin and uh, a message came out that uh, I'd take the quicks and George would take the spin because Georgie wasn't great with the quicks. So it was like it was, uh, you know, it, I think it was 16 overs in the last hour. Yep. Um you know, there was – you could see there was pressure in the dressing room. Guys couldn't watch, you know. Did, I remember Dar- – Did Greg Blewett leave the ground? Did he go for he, a drive? He, he went for a drive and uh, he was building a house, I think. He went. He just couldn't handle it any longer. And I think uh, Paul Nose went for a walk along the River Torrens. Um, Buff Lehman bandaged himself up all over the place <laughs> so that – just to try and take some tension out of the room. Uh, you know, at one stage you look at the viewing room, there were, there were probably two guys and one of them was, was Nugget in the, in the viewing room. So it was, you know, there was so much tension because all we had to do was draw the game and, and we'd won the shield because we finished on top and hosted the game. So, yeah, I mean, the last, uh, the last two overs seemed to go for 15, 20 minutes. And uh, Tom Moody strung the last one out, yeah, for at least at at least twelve minutes, I think. And uh, you know, and then <clears throat> I think there was about five thousand there in the crowd. And then in those days, uh, the Shield Creek was uh, broadcast on Channel Nine. Anyway, Channel Nine had turned the match on, and uh, people from the city had started flowing down from the city, and the ground filled pretty quickly. Yeah. And they came in and uh, they started counting down the balls, like the you know the green bottle, um, the, the one green. I think they started about 35, 40 balls, and then oh, counting yeah. down the balls as they came. And then I remember seeing people had jumped the fence in the last over as well, and they were inside the fence line, inside the boundary, um, just outside the boundary. I mean, and uh, they were still counting down the balls, and then. Yeah, amazingly hung around and uh, we drew the shield and I think I've, I've finished with four runs, I think, and uh, and lasted that hour. It was incredible celebrations. Oh, sheer elation, just the, the footage yeah. I've seen of that, uh, of that TV coverage and just what it meant to so many yeah. South Australians and not mm. just to the playing group but to, to South Australia as a state, particularly as you mentioned – uh, having lost the Shield final the year before and to kind of it be, be in a situation going into that last day where WA could have pressed on and, and, and won the game. So yep. to get out of it uh, the way you did, out, outstanding. On a fifth-day wicket, yeah, and uh, and you look at the history of South Australian cricket, it's like they win a Shield every 20 to 30 years. I mean... <laughs> Uh, what is it now? It's uh, it's it's 24 or 25 years since we've we've won since that last Shield match. I mean, there's never been a Shield final like that, and I don't think there ever will be another one like it. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. game of cricket, and and it's what we love about first class cricket and Test match cricket is that you you can have a game that ebbs and flows the way that that one did, and yeah. people are. People are flocking to the ground to go and see yeah. a couple of guys. One guy gets six off 45 balls and another guy 
hanging yep. around for, for a similar amount of time for a similar amount of runs. So um, They must never get rid of that shield final. That shield final must always be played, I think. Yeah. Well, I believe that it, it, for the five days, especially if you're grooming players to head into test cricket where you do play five five days, I think the shield final is uh, it's imperative that that stays. So. And is that is that your your biggest highlight playing for South Australia, winning that shield? Oh, look, I think you know when you when you receive your baggy green and uh, your number three six four, and you know that uh, there's only four hundred odd players that have played Test cricket for Australia in one hundred and thirty years. Uh, that's that's probably the the highlight pinnacle of your career, but geez, that Shield final was right up there. I tell you, it was an uh, in- incredible feeling to actually win that Shield, and just the city, the city loved it too. Like they really got behind the the whole final, and the after we won it, and yeah, it was uh, an incredible time. And what's life like after cricket? You you retire in two thousand and two. Uh, at the time, we, you you were working at the time at the back end of your career. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, I went and spent a couple of uh, winters in the Netherlands and coached uh, a, a club uh, called VOC in Rotterdam. Okay. Um, yeah, I spent uh, five months. Uh, I think it was um, ninety eight and ninety nine in the winters, and then two thousand, I uh, I started a, a sales rep job with folding and uh, which uh, in pharmaceuticals yep. and I basically took all my holidays and uh, any time I could, I, I I was still trying to play first class cricket and work at the same time. And it was a time when the professionalism was starting to move into the game and players were training sort of middle of the day, 2.30 and I'd have to go to work and I'd get up early, do my fitness, you know, 5.30, 6am in the morning and then uh, come back at, say, 4.35 o'clock at night to try and work on the skills when everyone had finished. So it was uh, it was difficult the last two years to uh, have a job, hold a job and still keep playing first-class cricket. But I just – I felt it was probably two of my best – probably best years I had because, uh, yeah, the pressure was off from you – know, if you didn't play, you didn't get paid in those days. Yeah, so, okay. So uh, having a job was sort of had security and it was hard work, but uh, yeah, got into um, got into the pharmaceutical industry and retired in 2002. And you're still in pharmaceuticals now? I am. I am. I uh, I work I work for a company called um, uh, Sanofi, and uh, I look after the pharmacy business with a um, large sales team across the nation. So national sales manager. The Sanofi consumer products, uh, yeah, it's uh, keeps me very busy. And you still find a bit of time to watch the cricket? Yeah, I do. I do. It's uh, you know, whenever whenever it's on TV, I try to uh, take a peek. It's uh, certainly this series, the um, the Ashes, has been pretty uh, nerve wracking. Uh, it's been such a tight series again, so. Hoping they'll um, they'll get they'll keep the, that urn in Australia by the end of end of the night tonight. But uh, yeah, look, I, I try to uh, coach some young young spinners where I can. Uh, I'm part of the a- ACA where they send coaches out. Uh, I go out um, 
and well, I think Wayne Phillips will will send me to clubs that might have a group of leg spinners or, or even off spinners uh, that I can work with occasionally. So I think it's important. The leg spin seems to be. I don't know. It's a. I don't know why it didn't kick on after Warney, but uh, we have these periods where you know. If you, and it was sad to hear that Abdul Qadir passed away during the week, but uh, you know. We have these periods where it seems to come on the scene, yep. and then it disappears again. And it feels like it's we're in a we're an era where it's disappeared again. And Australia badly needs a leg spinner, I think. Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Mm. Well, you've given us a lot more of your time than I expected we'd be able to get through, but that's outstanding having you on the show, Peter. I really appreciate you having a chat about your time as a cricketer and um, really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem, Matt. I have good luck with uh, your, your podcast or your, whatever you call your show. Uh, I think it's always great when people show initiative and, and uh, tell stories about the game. So good luck with it all. Yeah, thanks very much. A massive thank you to Peter McIntyre for giving some of his Sunday evening to us to record this episode of the Cricket Library podcast. Some great yarns in there. A young guy coming up to Melbourne to play club cricket, gets the opportunity to do that, does it well, progresses through the grades, has the opportunity to represent Victoria on the MCG as a youngster. I had a wonderful time down there at the Cricket Academy learning from Terry Jenner. Moving to Adelaide, and getting some good opportunities there, some very solid seasons there at South Australia and the pinnacle of that, of course, winning that Sheffield Shield in 95-96. Getting the baggy green, how good would that be, having a baggy green cap and Peter McIntyre earned that through his strong performances and applying his craft for so long and doing it very well indeed getting the opportunity to play that home test match at the Adelaide Oval as well as the opportunity to tour India. And how's his strike rate going against the great Sachin Tendulkar? Two balls, one wicket. Very handy numbers indeed against the great Sachin and a real lover of the game, Peter McIntyre. I really enjoyed hearing his stories on the show and hopefully you'll join us for future episodes of the Cricket Library podcast. Please make you sure you take the time to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review and tell your friends, spread the word, let people know that this show exists and hopefully we'll be coming up with the goods in future. I'm sure we'll be coming up with the goods in the future for you. And I'll look forward to joining you in our next edition of the show. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.